Welcome to Work, Rest, Slay, the podcast for the Image Business Club, where we chat to Ireland's most influential businesswomen in the hope that we can learn from and through their experiences. Um, my name is Melanie Morris and I'm contributing editor at Image Media. We've had some great guests on the podcast in 2021, each sharing stories and so many really insightful nuggets of wisdom. Now, as we go into 2022, I'm delighted to say that my guest today is a friend I've admired for a very long time. As someone at the heart of the music and live entertainment industry, you would think Caroline Downey would content herself running MCD Productions alongside her husband, Dennis Desmond. But really, that's just where things start. Caroline is also a theatre producer and a talent manager. She's the woman who accompanied and guided Hosier, who you'll see she calls Andrew, along his path to international success. And Caroline is now working with Lyra on a similar trajectory. Caroline Downey is one of Ireland's most effective and devoted charity fundraisers. She's a long-term board member and now president of the ISPCC and Childline and has also devoted 13 years to the Dublin Theatre Festival. Caroline is the energy behind the infamous Childline concerts, which went on to become the 2FM Christmas Ball, the annual Gaiety Panto, and she oversees the running of both the Gaiety and the Three Olympia Theatres, both of which are part of the ever-growing MCD empire. It will probably take most of this podcast to list Caroline's various accomplishments. So, do you know, I think I'm going to stop here in order to hand over to her. But before I do, can I mention this podcast is sponsored by One Nutrition, an Irish brand that makes good nutrition easy with a range of supplements to support the demands of daily life. One Nutrition will only ever use ethically sourced, premium, pure ingredients, all of which come with certified quality assurance. You'll find their colourful and sustainable packs on shelves in local health stores or in pharmacies nationwide. And you can check out One Nutrition on Instagram at WeAreOneNutrition. Can I also mention the Image Business Club was founded last year in order to inspire our image community and support them in their endeavours. We offer seminars, events, specialised content, along with premium print and digital subscriptions. We have plenty of great plans and member benefits in the pipeline. If you're not already involved with the club, you can find out more at image.ie. But now on to today's podcast, which is recorded just at the tail end of 2021 in the midst of a challenging season for live events and in particular children's pantomimes as we discuss. I'm absolutely thrilled today that um, our guest is someone who I've gone on many adventures with. And even in all the time I've known you, Caroline Downey, I know there's millions of bits I don't know. So that's what I want to ask you about today. Is that okay? That's perfectly all right. Brilliant. Um, Firstly, Caroline, thank you for giving us so much of your time, because I know whatever about, you know, history, the past two years have been a crazy, crazy time for the entertainment industry, haven't they? Yeah, it really has. It's carnage actually is the only way to describe it. I mean, it has been for obviously everybody. It has impacted every single sector, but most certainly the arts, entertainment and hospitality industry have been flawed. Mm. They were the f- we were the first to close. We were the last to open. We've been You're still closed. <laughs> you know, it's certainly 50%. And then in cases of clubs, of which we have an involvement, um, they're closed back down again. So really, ours, our sector has just been annihilated. Mm. So wh- where do you look for your information? Where's your reliable source um, in the industry? 
it really, and again, it goes back to the leaks, really, to be yeah. honest. I mean, we don't even bother watching when they're coming down and making the statements because it's all been leaked all over to the media anyway by the time it comes out. So normally by the time that's been three days or two days before, you know what's coming down the line. There's, there's, there's no surprises anymore. I, do, I can't figure out which one's which. I can't figure out do the government leak, give it to the media first or... The, or and then it softens the blow when they come down and make that announcement. I can't fi- figure out, but everything we hear in advance, be it on Twitter or on Instagram or whatever, the social media content is normally well in line with what they're about to announce. So the amount of dynamic pivoting that you have yeah. had to do, that awful word, um, you're probably akin to a Cirque du Soleil dancer at this stage or an acrobat. But... Um, Let's start by going back a little bit um, and let's talk about your early career because um, I've always known you as a music promoter or as a theatre director or whatever, but that's not where you started, is it? Um, I suppose I left home when I was 16. I suppose if we go further back than that, I was born in Ireland. I was raised in Australia and South Africa. At that point, I had been to six different schools on and off because we went Ireland, Australia, South Africa, back to Ireland for three months, back to Australia, back to South Africa, and then we moved back to Ireland. I don't really know, actually, (laughs) if I'm being honest. I think at the time when my parents went over, they had just got married, they had three young children, and if you had a skill set, they were looking for carpenters and secretaries and anybody who had a trade, um, they would pay you to go to Australia. And my mother didn't really want to stay in Ireland, so we went there, and then I had an uncle who was in South Africa, and that kind of... I really actually don't know. And we came back for Jada to be born in Ireland, and then we went back to Australia, and then we went back to South Africa. Again, I can't... It just made sense at the time. <clears throat> yeah, you I guess it just it. didn't. And then we came back and my parents divorced. And my father moved to the Middle East and my mother moved back to Australia with my brothers and sisters. And at that point, I had left home because I wasn't going back into my seventh school and I didn't go back. And and as it transpires, I was always told I was I was stupid. Um, I can't really spell. Um uh, I could never. I, I could. I could articulate what I wanted. I could say what I needed to say, and but I could not write it down. I could. Anyway, it transpires. I'm dyslexic, but of course back then nobody really. It didn't have a label. Did, didn't have a label. Mm. So here I was then going into another country, where the, you're being taught Irish instead of Afrikaans or <laughs> instead of French or whatever the secondary. Language. Then you're on your geography, your history, and everything. Every country you move to, it's not worldwide history that you're taught you're taught very specifically for each country mm. um so that meant starting all over again and your maths forget it so um uh, i left and i moved into town and i worked in captain america's Ra, which is where i went my good friend Louis. So Captain America's was the coolest restaurant ever in Ireland yeah. and probably the only restaurant in well, Ireland was, that I, young people went yeah, to. Yeah, so it, it's hard to imagine that. I mean, it's still very much there and very good. And um, But at the time when it opened, kind of, we didn't have that kind of hamburger restaurant in Ireland. Mm. And they, I don't even know. I'm sure McDonald's was around at that point, but not that time. I don't think it was. Yeah, I, I can't. It's, no, I don't know because it I was wasn't here, of, really. So for me, it's just I went looking for a job and they... they, they they had advertisements and I mm. went up and but there was a queue there used to be a queue down those stairs onto Grafton Street all the time like it's it's insane now that people get queued for a hamburger so um, obviously I think you were also modelling at that stage as well no, or did that come I later no actually come I had uh, a friend of mine uh, who, who, who I got to know she was one of the managers actually in Captain America's they opened up a nightclub and 
she asked me would I go down and do a couple of shifts for him in the nightclub. So I had gone down to work in, uh, do you remember Wilds and Bratz down up behind uh, Wimble Lane Recording Studio? Right. So everybody from the studio used to come in there. So it became this kind of hub really for uh, the entertainment business. So Phil Leonard lived in, practically lived in the place at night. You too. Simple Minds and all those bands all used to come there kind of after recording in Wimbledon. So right. and there wasn't a lot down there at that at that point, so we used to go down there. And um, that's actually where I met Dallas. For the first time? For the first Your time, Your husband, yeah. Dennis yeah. Desmond? Yeah. He asked me out and we agreed to go out. And it was during the day, so I said, OK, well, I, you know, we'll go to a movie because that's in the afternoon and I work nights, so that kind of worked. And he didn't turn up. And it was pre-mobiles and even having phones and all that sort of stuff. So he didn't turn up. And I went, oh, to hell with this. So off I went um, with another friend of ours. And we ended up going to the movie, going to something to eat, going down to a club on Leeson Street where other friends were actually trying all these new champagnes and wines and all that. Mm-hmm. And staggering home at four o'clock in the morning. And under, So it was the best first date you never had. I never had. <laughs> and under the door was a note saying... I did arrive, admittedly three hours late, um, had an issue down at Slane because obviously it's quite a drive. Um, uh, Dennis. So I told Louis this and he said, uh, so he wanted and he said he wants another date. I said, no, not getting another date. You told Louis this? Yeah, I was right. telling Louis about it. And yeah. I said, no. Yeah. And I said, and he wants to go another date. And Louis said, oh, no, you have to go out. And I said, no, don't. I said, I don't care how late he was. Like, that's unacceptable to be that out that late. Um, and he's saying, no, 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 I really want to see Hazel O'Connor. She's a t- <laughs> playing <laughs> and slain. So it was um, Thin Lizzy, you two, uh, Hazel O'Connor, the Bureau, and a band called Sweet Savage. And I think maybe 20,000 people were at it. Like when you so this at it, was, the first, it was slain. the first slain. It was the right. first slain. And MCD, the it, fledgling business, yeah, was the promoter. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so in the end, I said, oh, okay, okay, okay. So I met Dennis again for something to eat before I went to work. And, I, and he said, I have two passes to go down. So I said, okay, I'm bringing my friend with me. And he literally drove me down. And as the want has been right through our life, when he's done, he leaves. Right? Louis does Louis go, Irish Just goodbye. Go, he does Irish, and he brings he Irish goodbye to a whole other level. I've learned that from him, by the way. So I then became a It's not a bad time. strategy. Unfortunately, it's slain at that time. There wasn't these, I mean, there was buses down, but nothing to the extent that you have now, the organization that has mm. now. So he saw Hazel O'Connor. He really didn't want to see the rest of the bands. And he took off and I went okay okay fine I, I, I want to go and see you too and I want to go and see uh, Thin Lizzy big huge Thin Lizzy fan so I had no way of getting home other than taking a lift with Dennis so there you go that was it can I ask so after, you so Louis claims he was the matchmaker by the way he, I mean <laughs> loosely we use the word so he gave me a lift home and actually we ended up moving in three weeks later stop yeah Oh he moved God. back. He gave up his job. He came over. We had the conversation. I convinced him to try and be a promoter full time. What did he have to lose? So he gave up his job and he took it the full time job. So maybe there's a sort of a nugget of wisdom there about not thinking things through too much and going with the flow. Yeah, fly by the seat of your pants. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think most people fly by the seat of their pants. Actually, I think you actually think yourself or talk yourself out of a lot of situations yeah. if you don't give mm. something a, a, a yeah. try and I think that's now called going out of your comfort zone but that's, I think I yeah, prefer flying exactly I think I seat. prefer flying by the seat of your pants but yeah stepping outside your comfort zone mm. is, is the correct way now to say it so at what stage 
did you give up Captain America's and start oh, working um, in MCD? Well, then it just came. Actually, the club was burnt to the ground, actually, by the Dons. There was a, a feud going on at the moment, at that time, you know, with... The drug or, and family, they weren't, yeah. And they weren't allowed in to the club. And I arrived to work one day and they, it had been burnt to the ground. Oh, my God. Mm. So that was the end of that. So that was the end of that. So I kind of... Um, uh, I think I worked briefly in Marks, uh, Peter Marks on Grafter Street. They had a Valentino's, do you remember? Yes. Valentino's, and I worked as a supervisor there. And then I met, we all used to go to Shrimps and places like that. And I met Elaine, and she was working for Geraldine Brand. And she Elaine Doody, who is Elaine a model Doody, agent. Was yeah. a model agent, and who is uh, godmother, actually, to uh, uh, Jet, my younger son. And um, she. She just said, what do, you, what do you think about modelling? And um, I had very good hands at the time, not so much. So <laughs> um, I did uh, a lot of hand modelling, did a lot of catwalk, did a lot of commercials, actually. Mm. It was kind of more the commercial than the high, beautiful end kind. I was the more commercial, commercial makes catwalk. the money. Yeah, commercial catwalk <laughs> uh, and, and hand model, actually. I did a huge amount of commercials mm. with hands and stuff. So... Obviously, you started, I mean, the music industry and the live events industry has changed so much over the past 35 years that you've been working in it. Um, Are there any key moments in MCD's history that stand in your mind as being, you know, really, really sort of pivotal ones for the business? Well, I would have thought, I think the first lane for sure, I think Phil Linnett was incredibly loyal to Dennis and that opened up a whole load of doors for him because he was huge at at, at the time and he was very loyal to him and he gave him a break, you know, and at the time there was only two promoters. There was um, MCD coming up and Aiken. Uh, Jim Aiken, not Peter Peter's son, uh, now very much runs his his, his business mm. and is and there's still that MCD and, and Aiken that still exists and he, um, he Jim did Tom he did Tom Jones and he, he did all, a lot of big artists, um, but he didn't do the fill inits and the thin inits and there was this at that time it was the eighties right we were coming into the eighties and. It was hair bands. <laughs> and there was an incentive for people when they came to Ireland, a tax incentive, if you were a writer, that you didn't have to pay, you only paid the tax on your on your writing skills in Ireland. And it was brought in to protect theatre writers, novelists, etc. But as, as write-off songs, that also covered a lot of people. So a lot of producers moved to Ireland, and then everybody from the Thompson Twins, Spando Ballet, Frankie Goes to Hollywood... Hazel O'Connor, um, Lisa Stansfield, I don't I think you yes, remember all of this. Yes, Simple they, Minds. Simple Minds, they all came and moved to Ireland. And where we lived, they all lived in the same area. Obviously, you two lived here. Um, Frankie so, Goes to Hollywood. Frankie Goes to Hollywood, yeah. yeah wild. Uh, and so there was that constant street. The Spice Girls came in and recorded um, their, their album here with a guy called Biff. And actually, one of their videos, if you remember, they're on the little streets. I think it's stopped right now, might it That's be? That's right. One? That's shot down by where the recording studio is. So they also, made the vid- they also made the video. So a lot of uh, writer producers also came to Ireland. So then a lot of artists came. So it fed a big industry. It employed mm. a lot of people within the, but also then they rented houses, they would go out at night. And, and that was the start. That And they were the type of bands. So while I was modelling, Dan started in the McGonagall's, like doing the smaller ones. So which was a sort of a venue in South Ann Street, which was like the sweat used to run down the walls. I remember. Um, it was a, I used to do the door. You know, you used to have blood on some of the money that the money was coming in. I got ten pounds for doing the door, and um, 
and then we he found the SFX, which we went and well, went on to buy. Um, so we started there, and we started doing bands. There. So that became the Echo and the Bunnymans. It became uh, Tears for Fears. It became all those those type of bands. The Smiths, well. I remember the Smith, seeing all, there. The Smiths, a whole lot. Uh, yeah. The Clash. I saw the Clash there. It's um, and I used to go and do the door there, and it would be. I mean, the heaviest of metals are bad. So like, I mean, dear Lord, <laughs> when I think about it, I remember they, they would check everything coming in and was somebody arriving one night and they had brought a sheep's head because they intended it as a sacrificial thing. Just oh, to stop it. On stage. And Aidan Lee, who's abduction manager, kept saying, that floor's teak. They'll never get that out of there. The animal's head skinned. They obviously had gone to an abattoir somewhere. Oh, say, my God. Yeah, so it was, it, I think that was Wasp. And I think you could enter into a competition in Kerrang. Actually, you could enter into a competition in Kerrang. Magazine. To be the yeah. lucky lady to stand topless on stage with handcuffs and a paper bag over your head. Stop it. No, that's This would have been mid-80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got away with a lot in the 80s my that God. you wouldn't do now. Yeah. It's and crazy. with pride, they're standing up <laughs> It's like mad when you think about it now. And actually, Dennis and I were discussing about what was our favorite memory. We were saying those times because we had absolutely nothing. Um, he'd given up his job. We were living on what I was making. And then he had, we had nothing to lose. And yet we had the best fun. Mm. And, and it was developing it. So all those, those gradually, obviously, those smaller ba- bands that Jim Aiken didn't do, Dan started, and of course that that got bigger and bigger. You know, I mean, Bon Jovi got bigger and bigger, and and so did White Snake and all those. So that that whole element that we went into. So Dan, that's how the route that Dennis went down there initially, and then the very kind of kind of keyboard electric kind of you know type of. But band. then gigs became festivals. Then gigs became well. At that time, I think Liston Varner had it existed somewhere along the line, but. And there was Fela. The, then there was Fela. So Fela, then Fela was 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 Genesis and, and Amons, and that gradually built and built and built and built. Um, and and when you look at now what we infrastructure we have to put in now compared to then, it was again kind of flying a little bit by the seat of your pants. But because that was, was down in Semple Stadium in Tipperary, mm, mm. and it was a three day festival long mm. before. I mean, I I would imagine. There, there weren't many other festivals in Ireland no, at that stage. No, not really. Not yeah. really. Not, not, not to the extent that we have now. Mm. You know, um, Glastonbury, of course, existed because Glastonbury is fifty years. It was fifty years old last year, mm. I think. Um, so, was, was were that. all the learnings always through flying by the seat of your pants, literally, yeah. or were you going abroad to look at other no, models? No, I think. I mean, we we went, we did go abroad, but you you learned. And I, when I say fine, you you had a skill set of people who would come in and say, okay, this works, that doesn't work. You know, you have a massive team. I, I, it's not that you just, because some people do make that mistake, think that, you know, you just put up a fence and you stick a couple of ported loose in the corner and build a stage and mm. off you go. It's not like that at all. It's an army of people that takes weeks and weeks and weeks to build. Mm. And I think that was part of my anger I think towards the government about electric picnic even being cancelled this year is you know will it won't it three weeks not it takes it's a anybody who's been I'm sure I'm sure you've been yeah um it's it's a it's a city to mm. build a temporary city, which is a marvel feat when you go around when you drive around at night when it's quiet and the, there's generators and there's kitchens for every stage and there's bathrooms for every stage and then there's camping for you know there's camping up tens of thousands tens of thousands mm. like it's 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 <laughs> You can't do that in three weeks. You can't. Mm. Uh, And you can't do it safely. And everything's about safety and how you can go in and everything can be safe. So when you start off at the initial, uh, 
those things that you didn't have. As you went along, you learnt what is right and what's wrong, what works and what can't work, and um, how do you improve it? Mm. Because with everything that you do is how do you improve? How do you improve and how is it a better experience for the person who's parted with their money to come, particularly to a festival? Because a festival is, is about music, but it's also about so much more you know it's if, if you ruin all the others you know if you can't get to a bathroom and you can't wash and you can't get access and you can't leave a venue um and there's no medical help around that that then you're in tr- you're in trouble as an organizer if you don't do it so that part is very important and then of course the music is equally but yeah you've got to have everything food food banks you've got to bank links in at the time because i mean the cash machines they have to constantly fill up now now kind of it's more touch and tap, more. I think that's one but thing. But that's that only COVID very recent. Like, but that's COVID because mm. you couldn't spend under a certain point. You couldn't tap. And then with COVID, now you can tap for two quid. Before, I think it was, was it a minimum of five or minimum of 15? Well, it was it just was. also the way people behaved. They mm. paid with cash. They yeah. brought cash or they went to cash so point you machines. Have, but so you have to put a cash, po- cash points machines mm. in a field. It has to be electricity that's driven to it. So it's just, it's just so much of it. I marvel at actually what they, what they all do and what they can do. And the teams of people, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that takes that. And then it all dismantled at the end. But also I think there's the whole point about you build on the experience of one to create a better experience yeah. the next year, to create a better experience after that. Well, so I think the that oxygens, the electric yeah. picnics, yeah. the latitudes, they're all becoming more and more sophisticated. Yeah, and I think that applies in all aspects of business. Right. I mean, I don't think there's any aspect of your business, of anybody's business, no matter what they are in, that they don't keep constantly want to try and reinvent and make the next one more more uh, pleasant. With be it a shop, be it eating out, uh, just uh, just products that you buy that people invent and create and all that. Everything moves forward, mm. right? And it's all for the better. So our business is no different. And um, before March 2020. How many people were working full time with MCD? Roughly. Oh, see, that's that's a hard one because okay. on the on a day to day, the it, and it really depends if you're taking in the venues. Right. So there's hundreds, but if you're going into the season, it runs into thousands and thousands. And how do you manage to keep all of those balls in the air and still be a mum and still be able to talk about the other things that you do in life as well? You, Where do your resources come well, from? Well, I, I don't do that part of that. I mean, that's very much done us. Mm. And actually now um, the two boys are in, Zach and Jet are into it. So it would be wrong to say that that's, <laughs> that's my, my end of it. That's that's not my, my meaning is towards the theatres. Um, Let's talk about that then. But we do sit down as a family and as a board and discuss all elements of of what's going on. And in the very early days, yes, I was taking the money and going back in and all and all that Mm. and all all those things and um, and with ideas and and making sure everybody was really happy and having a good time when they were in. You know, so it just. But on the day to day of the booking of festivals, that is very much down and Zach and and a team of people, not just them. We have a team of bookers that uh, put various, various different events together it's it's thousands of people that are involved so that's how that works it's just everybody has your production people have one area and you know your bookers have another area and um and, and it's like my uncle looks after a whole warehouse that actually brings all the they design bathrooms uh out of fiberglass that's easier and it's 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 just you know it's 
You could go literally down. Uh, if I went down, we'd be here. You, yeah. actually, you could spend an entire podcast actually just talking <laughs> about the logistics of the amazing team and artist liaisons and what people want mm. in a field in the middle of nowhere. What is has to be looked after yeah. when when you get there is. So, how did the theatres come around then? Um, well, we bought the Olympia in 1995, mm. and um, because we were putting more and more. Um, you know, uh, uh, the Olympia and the Gaiety are, are different in one way. Is that the Olympia is a music hall and the Gaiety is a theatre. Yeah. But there's also we do have theatre very much in the in, in the Olympia, but it's it's kind of both. That's mm. how it's it's. I know this because when I went for a grant, I was told that it was a musical hall and ah. it's a theatre. So, um, so it's. I mean, it's 142 years old. I love it. It's my pride and joy along with the Gaiety. So my my involvement there is very much to restore and keep it. And bring it back, actually, mm. to the way it was. And for a long time, um, I spent too much time maybe concentrating on the gaiety and then switched about eight years ago to actually bringing the Olympia back to the way she should be. Mm. So um, I spent a lot of money renovating. Right. Just trying to make it, bring it in the pants, and I'm spending it on the other, on the other <laughs> Like every good wife. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's become just a nice place. I, you know, I kind of also learned it. And and later with Ohosi when I was on the road, it makes such a difference when an artist goes into a venue, and the venue is clean and warm, and and it's a because it's your home for home, even if it's four for those five six hours, because the next home is going to be very similar, and it's back on a tour bus and it's back off again. So you go into somewhere that's grubby and not clean, and and it's windowless and all that. The experience should be a nice experience when they're in it. Mm. And being in a nice dressing room in a nice venue with nice bathrooms, I don't think is too much to ask for an artist's perspective. And I don't think it's too much to ask from somebody who's attending a venue as well. But sadly, that's quite a novel approach to a lot of venues, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we did have, we have an interest in, um, that we have an interest in about 35 venues in the, in the, in the UK. And... Um, about a 25, 30% share. And I have been in one of our own venues. <laughs> it was sort- sorted. <laughs> After I left. <laughs> the, the, the minutes went over. Yeah. Time to have a little yeah. redo. So it really, it, 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 it does. And that's often sometimes, you know, when they're doing it, the, the front house becomes also a focus, which I understand because that's the experience with it and maybe sometimes back a house hasn't um we work we have live nation uh, mike anderson and others who's now oversees the vendors because actually when hosia took off it but trying to juggle the two of them and also it was renovating at the same time was was quite difficult but he is very similar to me that everything has to be perfect and has a place and everything has to be it's clean and so he's amazing. So, you know, everybody needs a Mike Adamson in their life. Can you explain the relationship between Live Nation and MCD? Okay, so Live Nation is a very big promotion company worldwide, global. Um, uh, looks after it, but also they own Ticketmaster as well. So they're ticketing as well as music, as well as sports. So it's a vertical it's a business. huge yeah. organization that comes out of the States. And when we started expanding into the UK and setting up more and more festivals, um, they uh, became partners in, in some and some partners not in others. It, it really kind of worked out. And then as it came along and, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger, um, we then decided uh, to sell because we'd already been in partnership with them in the UK, mm. uh, we would decide to sell half of MCD um, 
in Dublin. That doesn't include the venues. It also doesn't include the venues in the UK. Um, but it it it's just MCTs as such. But within that organisation, I then. Mike Adelson would then come and manage your theatres for you. So you still retain them, you, you pay them to manage your theatres for you, which is what they do. So it's a way for you to tap into bigger, wider in, resources. In for me, it's actually, it's when I was on the road or when I was up to my tonsils doing other things and I had a queue of people standing outside my door going, the lighting system's gone here and I need to upgrade this and I need to go and, you know, the bar's having a problem, there's a leak in the place. God. That it, it's, it's Moya, Moya Doherty calls it the ladder and the tights. You know, you're trying to run this big machine, which would be river dance going around the world, and there's problems with ladders and the tights. You need somebody to come in and actually deal with that so that you can actually do everything else. I mean, he's, he, I have to say he's brought in amazing people to run the theatres for us, and I wouldn't have even know where to start, and he's been amazing. So that fallback is just incredible it's but as, but your renovations rather it, it's still and he does the same they do the same for the board gosh so john Gallagher is the board gosh and they run the board gosh uh, on behalf of john Gallagher. Oh, so very it's the clever. same thing so the owners still retain but they they um brilliant it's probably a little bit like- no we still book it so don't mm. don't get me wrong it's it's the olympia's the it's still very much booked up by us. It's actually the running and the yes, maintaining the nuts and bolts yeah and then yeah. we have the academy as well and the academy is a different venue um and we brought in the people from the limelight because we owned half the limelight in the north. And um, they, we bought into half the limelight in the north. And then they were saying, look, you know, we're running the safe for you the south. So maybe we could become partners. So actually, that's how that happened. So they, we, we sold 50% to them. And they mm. run the limelight. They run the academy and the limelight. And we book God, the band. You must have a brain like a violin cabinet, Caroline, do you? Well, I say we. I use the royal we. Because yes. I'm not booking it. <laughs> no, but so when I say of... we, I mean as in the team of MCD. So mm. when I say we, I actually don't, that's not, it's not me. It's No, uh, but it's, you have so many people involved in the business, you know, that as a board, that you're looking at so many different collaborators, so many different partners, so many different suppliers. Uh, and that's Dennis's strength. I mean, Dennis's strength, he even now will not slow down. He constantly looking, I mean, we're going to buy two more festivals, you know, so he, he doesn't, that's what keeps him going. You know, it's, it's not money. It's not, uh, it's really just about new ideas and how you can keep breaking through the frontier and all that. And mm. I think that's works for successful people. And that's what works for him. He doesn't sit on his laurels. He just wants to keep experimenting and not experimenting, I suppose. Keep going. Keep, keep going and, and, and expanding. Mm. He likes to expand. And tell me, um, you know, not being able to do festivals or significant concerts in the Republic of Ireland last summer or the summer before, what's that? What's that been like on business morale and the industry from from your perspective? Um, for us, it was soul destroying. And you know, I'm on Instagram actually predominantly to see what my artists are doing and everybody else and, and for renovations mm-hmm. actually for theatres and stuff like <laughs> so those little things that you go and what's and the hashtag and... for theatre renovation <laughs> <laughs> but taking ideas for both. I mm. mean we, we, I'd be on tour with Andrew and he'd be looking down and he'd go what are you doing you Andrew know? being hosier hosier yeah. and, and I'd be um taking photographs of the little side things on the theatre, you know, of saying, I like the way that they have put this in here. And I'd be down on the bathroom floors and taking pictures of how the stores were done and all that. And he actually went and bought his own house and, and then uh, had to renovate that too. And I looked around at one point and he was taking photographs of stuff. <laughs> I was saying, 
See, <laughs> how easy you take a little bit of ideas that you like and you're trying to explain to somebody, but now with all Instagram and all that and you can follow different sites, you can get ideas of seeding or, you know, mm. Pinterest. I mean, gosh, the best thing that was ever in- invented, but I'm digressing now. But um, what were we talking We were actually, we, what, what's interesting about you talking about oh. that is I always remember you being incredible with interior design. Your homes are always beautiful. You always pull inspiration from everywhere. So I'm not surprised you're incorporating that into, that into theatres. <laughs> it's just a way of expanding the purchasing power. <laughs> and it also works very much in going to see a hundred, like tons and tons of bands and what works on stage and what doesn't work on stage. So when you're sitting down talking to your artists about what, how, how they see it happening, you can say, well, I saw this on such and such, it really didn't work, or this really, really worked. And mm. you could incorporate that part, but still keeping the, you know, the look that you want. And so um, it, it all works. Everything that you go always feeds back into the creative. And then also feeds back into plays, that feeds back into your panto, that feeds back into all aspects. I mean, pantomime, we have, I have incorporated screens. I incorporated screens, I'm going to say about... I've lost track yeah. of time, but say maybe seven, eight years ago. And that came out of doing the Childline concert and where you used to have to buy the stock to change up. And it was filmed, so it was on television. I was going to think, oh, it's looking a bit jaded. And we would go in and we would buy... Um, you could buy the fire and you could fire water and all that yeah. stock footage yeah. that would be fed into your screens. And we always had screens there, and they very generously gave it to me for nothing because everybody works for nothing on the Childline concert, so it's how we can make the money that we make. And... And the set designer was saying to me at the time, she said, oh, this is an amazing guy called Lewis and he can create little things for you. So for bigger bands, and he created some things like the chimneys moving or the houses moving, just something that was a little bit that we would have in stock. Mm. So when I started with the Panto and I was looking at going, it's lacking and I couldn't quite figure what, what it's lacking. And children now are so interactive with everything, but I didn't want to lose the essence at the same time of Panto itself. Mm. So we introduced screens and we brought in Lewis and it's completely transformed it. It's completely. So we still have the essence of everything that's Panto. We still have the class. We still have the stage. The we staging. Have still have everything mm. that is, exists, you know, you still have the, the dame, carriage the and, dame the, and, and all, yeah. all that. But you have a carriage, but at your backdrop now, and particularly with the Little Mermaid at the moment, it's this fishes and this oh, shark comes by and there's, you know, turtles. So you, when she's suspended, she's really under the water swimming, you get that sense of it. But Which is a lot better than a papier-mâché fish being dragged yeah. around. Yeah. And, I, and I know that's what people are saying that is all, but, but you must, I feel, keep up with technology. But until this year, I've always had three people going, have you introduced screens? And I would say, no, I've been doing it for seven years. Mm. They hadn't really noticed because it was incorporated so well. But there might be a chicken going across or the, there'll be smoke coming out of the chimney and, and oh, things fantastic. like that. So it's given Darren, I have the most incredible team in the Panto. So I have an amazing guy called Darren Crosby who um, has been raised in the theatre. Actually, his grandmother's organist. So from the time he was three, wow. he used to come into the theatre. His mother was wardrobe mistress and um, he's the writer, choreographer and the director. So what he and Lewis have now put together with the team is just amazing brilliant yeah so tell me a little bit about the the, the nuts and bolts and the misery we won't call it that the challenges oh, yeah. <laughs> of the past two years well I suppose so that was the question that we were talking about mm. it was we spent um I got so depressed being here during lockdown and and lockdown one lockdown one and we, I, I did lockdown one like everybody did we did our two meters we did and 
the garden's now renovated and you know, I did the clean out. You know, no, actually, I was drawing a line on cooking. So okay. if I, I said to everybody, if you see banana bread, I'm up on my social <laughs> thing. You actually need to come and send help because, <laughs> you know, things have gone really bad. That I've been making banana. I'm a shocking baker. They say, you know, I mean, I I burn Betty Crocker. No, <laughs> okay. I do. I actually had smoke belling out the kitchen, so I'm not a baker. But mm-hmm. I did clean out wardrobes and donate and did all the things that we've all been talking about forever, haven't we, that we've never done. So, of course, at the beginning, it was kind of going, oh, okay, we could do all these things and we'll go for a walk and mm. got to spend us a lot of time with the children, which was really nice, as in they're adults, they're not, you know. And, and But as... UK started opening we went to the UK we really saw this massive divide of what was happening in Ireland what was happening in the UK and then as the UK continued with its open air festivals and one weekend we went we had quite a lot of festivals on um, I think Dennis did this three, is in 2021 this year last year yeah. in 2020 oh, 20, oh, in 2021 yes yeah, so, yeah, so everybody yeah. everybody everybody lost you know I mean yeah. the festivals were going down left right and centre right throughout 2020 Europe, so. didn't happen but yeah it just didn't happen right but 2021 and, and it didn't happen for anybody actually um, even the states when Coachella was cancelled and stuff it, it was it yeah. was coming so we were all well globally all on the same page for 2020 2021 came and we were no longer on that the same page as everybody else. Then it got to the point where our festivals were running in the north. Yes, that and was then, crazy. And they were run, running down in the south. And then Electric Picnic was, was pushed and pushed and pushed and everybody hiding behind everybody. And people were allowed to go and see, go to gigs in Crow Park. Rightly so, by the way. I have to say sport is as important as music mm-hmm. for the soul and for the body. And it, it's, a, it's the... In some towns, it's 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 all about GAA. It's it's supporting your teams. It is so important for your mental welfare. It's so important to be able to get out. And having that taken away from everybody was equally as bad. So I, this battle that kindness ensued of, you know, it's us versus them. It was never us versus them. But it actually was. We all agreed. We just also wanted to be treated in the same way. Mm. And. I even thought the reopening and the rehandling of how they how they did that, that you could go and you wore a mask in an outdoor thing miles away from somebody else. You know, they allowed a couple of thousand at the beginning. Like, But they never built on that. It kind of got left in the field behind. It just, it just yeah. Smoke so, and, you know, everything was smoke and mirrors, smoke mm, and mirrors, you know. Caroline, can I ask, can you even look at this year at 2022 and see what might be ahead for the summer? Do we do we think there'll be festivals and music I mean, venues? You you hope. I mean, there is no reason why there shouldn't be. It, honestly, if you can sit in a in Crow Park for a for a match, mm-hmm. as you should, by the way, as you should, there is no reason you shouldn't be sitting in looking at Ed Sheeran, Garth Brooks, Westlife, and Aviva. Um, and all the outdoor festivals mm. that we have scattered around, around. So can I ask, are you planning festivals oh, in yeah. the UK and Europe at the moment? And Ireland. You are planning ones in you, Ireland. You have to, Great. because it's not something that you can... I mean, all these bands are still... I mean, we don't even talk about how it's affected the touring and, and crews and, mm. and, and et cetera. And, we've, and we have lost so much crew that they've not, they've not come back. And this we're, we're discovering during the panto, actually trying to find people. We've lost a lot to the film. To the film world, right. so theatres have lost and music have lost to the film because 
it's they're getting paid. If COVID shuts them down, they still get paid. You know, it's the government expects them to live on 350 quid a week when mm. they have mortgages and children and bills to pay and go off and find yourself another skill set while we go off and do it. Become a barista, I think, was one of the suggestions. And they don't put a value on the skill set of what people bring into the, our industry. You have a big statistic about how many people the entertainment industry employs. Well, the entertainment industry employs... In Ireland. In Ireland, as many people as Facebook, Google and Apple. But funnily enough, we don't think of it as that. And we, we don't think, think of that, no. We think of it as people who are doing summer jobs, and that's yeah. wrong, isn't yeah. it? It's a billion-dollar industry. Mm. It's a billion-dollar industry. In Ireland. In Ireland. And it feeds and supports right out. So you're talking hotels, taxis, food, merch... Um, it, it, it just people who have vans that go it, it's people who list or so when you go into a festival the tenting companies the toilet companies now the toilet companies maybe not as much because they, they had all the pop-up um, uh, vaccination centres so they, mm-hmm. they could be used actually toilets became an issue trying to find toilets when we did open in the UK they had to be brought in from Europe because the the toilets were all sent out also for vaccination centres okay. across the UK yeah 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 um, Smaller tents became an issue trying to find because they'd obviously be put in vaccination mm. centres as well. So small companies like that did okay because mm. it was, big, but then it was everything else after that. So there's yeah. generators. There's, it's 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 really. I would love at some point. Leo has come to. I mean, when he was the minister of health, I think actually he came and camped at Electric Picnic. He is he loves music. He understands actually what it takes to put mm. it over it, but. He's not the person that's 100% calling the shots here. Yeah. Before we move on to the next section, can I mention that we at Image would like to thank One Nutrition for their sponsorship of Workrest Slay. The One Nutrition plant-based supplement range includes next-generation formulations in superfoods, wellness, immunity and recovery to support the demands of daily life. Ask about Irish brand One Nutrition at your local health store or from pharmacies nationwide. You can also follow One Nutrition on Instagram at We Are One Nutrition. I want to ask you about charity because I know it's something that takes up whatever space is left of your life. I don't know how you carve up all the space, but it takes up a significant part of your your, your adult life. You've been uh, with the ISPCC for how long? 35 years. And you are now president of the ISPCC yeah. in Thailand. I mean, <laughs> I try and leave and they keep dragging me back in. <laughs> I asked you to try and tell me how much you think you've raised. And I know that that is a figure that's hard to pinpoint. But were you able to come up with any sort of a, a, yeah, a ballpark? I, I, yeah, I, I called Penny, actually, who I work really heavily with in the ISPCC. And I said, uh, do you have? And she said, yeah, I don't know. It's about 18 million. And I said, no, I think it's a little bit more than that. I can't remember. Anyway, she went off looking. So today it's about 45 million. Yeah. 45? million my god and uh through balls through fashion shows through collaborations through concerts all of these things do do you miss do you miss all of these things no not really (laughs) (laughs) um initially i mean that's what i did a lot of when the children were smaller so as you know i was saying you know women can have it all just not necessarily at the same time and the woman who has it all at the same time i tip my hat to her because it's 
it's tough and mm. men don't have if that's the case they're not juggling as much as, as as women do so i find if you look at my career span over the 35 40 years really it comes in chunks at times so when the children were small and i and prior to really getting heavily involved with the mp at the gatey um i did a huge amount of fundraising for the ispcc and it came on the death of Anne Lovett. And when Anne Lovett died at 15 years of age in a book, in a, well, she, the baby died and she died shortly afterwards in Granite, I couldn't understand that nobody knew she was pregnant. I couldn't understand how, and I'd had Zach, then I had Zach about a year and a half later. I remember the story, but couldn't understand it, and then having Zach and thinking, here I am going into the rotunda to have Zach with, you know, my lovely doctor that's looking after me, and I was still terrified at 24 going in, and yeah. she was 15. And her sister then committed suicide three months later. God. And I remember thinking, God, how was there nobody there? To her, for her to talk to um, and it just played on my mind and I remember just walking into the ISPC going my name's Caroline Downey and I want to fundraise for you and I, I don't want you know I don't want ever child to ever go through what she went through and if there was somebody there to help them and at that time they were looking at trying to create Childline which had existed with Esther Ranston in the UK um, NSPCC and Childline at that point were two separate. So uh, Esther Ranson set it up and NSPCC has actually much more uh, control than we do. We're just a, uh, an advocate for ch- child, for children, where the NSPCC could actually go in and take your children out. Okay. So that, that doesn't happen with us. We go through the proper channels and yeah. report and et cetera. But we are there. I think we always like to look at that. We kind of monitor the government if they're not doing their job to protect children. So that's what, And we fundraise. And we have our own, everything that we have within it. And at the time, there was talk of Childline. So the Childline concert, I was trying to figure a way that how I could raise the money for them to set it up because it's, it's a lot of volunteers, but there's also intense training. It's not for everybody. I couldn't do it myself. I would want to get in the car and go and take the mm-hmm. child away straight away. And it just became, how do, we, how, do, how do we get to the children who need the service the most? And it's through pop. And it's through idols. And it's why we use... Why is George Clooney selling us coffee? Yeah. Why am I picking us? <laughs> we trust George Clooney. We don't know him, but we like him and we trust him as opposed to... We want to, what he's having. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So it's the same with cars and all that. Yeah. So I kind of thought, well, how would we, how could we get our number up there? How could we tell children that actually um, it's all right to use the service? There isn't a stigma to using the service because automatically people will think, well, then they have to be physically or sexually abused or use. But actually all t- different types of abuse comes in many forms and also... Bullying, anxiety. I kissed my boyfriend. I think I'm pregnant. I'm 12. You know what I mean? I don't know who to ask. I don't know who to ask. So, and in all of that, then we would also get to the more serious conversations with children. So we started with that. And and Louis, my lovely friend Louis, um, always comes to the rescue, was, uh, I think we did, he, he, Westlife. It was Westlife did the first. And I think other one year when they were off the Is road, this concerts or is concert, this promo? Yeah. No, concerts. Concert. And we, I mean, every band, they came, Robbie Williams did it, All Saints did it. I mean, it just became this concert to do that was televised. But my proudest moment was that they would say, what, 1-800, and the kids would shout back, 666-666. That's amazing. And they, I think other than two, for two years when they were off the road, I think the Boyzone did it, and I think five did it, um, Westlife always hosted. And then we had all these other bands. And once you had Westlife, which was this massive, massive band, it would sell out. So I, make, I made a half a million from each concert. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. Then you got a sponsor on. Well, I had Cheerios who came on as a sponsor because I had actually plenty more properties initially. And then because there were certain things that I had to pay for, even though everybody worked for nothing, there are certain things that the, and I just didn't want to pay for anything. Yeah. So, so all uh, the money raised went to All the to money Thailand. raised went yeah. to Chartland. Yeah. Um, and then it became... Because you wouldn't normally make 500000 from a concert in the three arena. You'd only make 500000 if the bands are working for you, the crew's working for free, the stage is built for free. Like, it, it, that's the only way that you can make that Half a million money. in a night. Uh, you mm. wouldn't normally make it unless it, that, it's done that way. And then, um, and then when Westlife... Re- re- not retired just step back for a little bit um we kind of changed the format and thought it was still there and a capo radio had done one on radio and i thought actually i'll do one with radio and then i'll mix it up actually and we'll go into that so hosier did the first one and codeline did the second one and the coronas did it and wild youth and hold up gavin james and we started um, working from there, and the script headlined another year. So we kind of went down, and then it stopped. Yeah. So it's it stopped because COVID. I couldn't run it this year because I just couldn't ask the crew to work for nothing when they had no money, mm. when they hadn't had. <gasps> but equally, the situation is so vicarious at the moment. Hopefully, we'll be seeing it in well, 2022. Well, I mean, we, we had the fear that you were going to put it all up, and then it'd be cancelled, and that's what happened with Dermot Kennedy. Um, and he um, he is paying his crew, yeah. And then, and he's doing it for free, uh, but it, his then was he had to go down to fifty percent. Yes. So he he did two shows then in the one day. So he did uh, an earlier one, the second one, then an earlier one into Trainmaker. But again, that was a movable feast for them to actually change from standing to seated. And and I know people think, oh, it's it's just it's not. It's contacting all the people. It's trying to rearrange it. It's trying who goes early, who goes late. It doesn't. Stay. It's but a people I suppose it was so amazing because he was doing it for the homeless, you know. And but you had the same situation, am I right? With the panto, you had to ring yeah. every single ticket holder. So we had um, we were up and running and. And we cancelled it last year and I didn't stream it last year. Everybody went for grants for streaming. I didn't want to stream it. For me, Panto is about interaction. Um, and it's not the same effect she's done. And actually, I don't even like watching theatre. Um, I don't care. Even in this, in this, you know, when you go to the cinema and you can watch these amazing productions. Theatre is theatre and it should be a live experience. Live music should be a live experience. And Panto 100% should be live because it's an interaction between an audience and the participant and the audience it's for me it's a lot of the time is how children are introduced to theatre for the first time and their memory should be something that hopefully they will sustain and will go on to actually go to other musicals come to theatrical plays and that's how our tradition and theatre exists for hundreds and hundreds of years Mm. and if you can introduce children through theatre at a young age they will more than like it's like reading yes they come along the journey they come along the journey and it's been a pleasant experience Mm. um so we invested and and it was it's a heavy investment you know it costs to run and my total costs are 1.9 million and um i kind of thought okay well we'll do the content we we had already started doing all the architraves and we had started doing all the cloths which are the things that you see around the, the, mm-hmm. so they change for each year they have to be they hand painted um sets started being built costumes had been had already been done yeah had been commissioned and so thank you permission we fortunately had the same cast so they kept adapting and kept adapting and i just thought well you know the worst case i'll put it into storage and it won't happen and then we're up 
and then we're running and we've had opening night and everything's going great and everybody has to be vaccinated so coming in and they wear masks and their hand mm. sanitizers and we leave the gaps between and the buildings are open. we're doing all the right things yeah and then Tony Hulhan goes on, the man who runs the country. Uh, it goes on and announces two weeks prior to that that Pantos, actually just before we start, that Pantos should stop and that children shouldn't have the nativity play and they shouldn't have play dates. <clears throat> and then, I think it was a two week gap, or maybe yeah, it was a week There was, was a bit of a, two, gap maybe between, a week gap. Maybe a week gap. Then from him making that announcement, so we were all going, whoa, hang on a second, we're actually opening. Um, and actually, for the first time I ever used my Instagram to show what actually goes on. Oh, brilliant. And which we never had done before, mm. you know. So I went where well, the orchestra was paying. Well, one, they were all deep in rehearsals at this point. But the orchestra was, was playing in the John B. Keynes bar um, while they were rigging the set. And there was hundreds of bags being put together, all the goodie bags with a team of 20. And the wardrobes were being fixed. And the there was people in from the UK teaching everybody how to fly because Ariel swims. Mm. And so technically she flies. But there's only a team, the only team I could get was from the UK. Mm-hmm. And I had to pay them in respect of whether they came or not. At one point they weren't going to take the job because of the negativity that was coming out of Ireland that they didn't know whether it was going to happen Gosh. or not happen. Mm. So we paid them up front and said... If, if the doors are open, please come. Mm-hmm. So they came in and, and all those health and safety things. Are, so there's, you know, at that point, there's, there's 90 people every day that's involved in the panto. There's much more even than the build as it's coming up. So we were in the middle of the build. We opened and um, we showed part of the set and the screens and the content and everything that was going on and the amount of people employed. And then the government announced 50%. And that was on a Friday. And that on Tuesday, we would cut 30,000 tickets. So are you going to lose money this year on the Panto? We, I know you're running that, as long as you can, which is until yeah. the end of January. Yeah. I mean, what we extended the run that we had saved just in case, because our, our biggest fear, of course, that was COVID was going yeah. to come. That was our greatest fear, actually, that COVID was going to come in among the cars. And what point would we have to shut down if it wasn't isolation that came in? Yeah. So we had saved the two-week run that we normally extend and we'd say that in the event that if there was a COVID outbreak, that we had those two weeks actually to run into. Um, so now no one can get sick, basically. No. <laughs> they're no. all living in bubbles. Yeah, they're all living in bubbles. And they've been amazing. They wear their masks going around the place. They engine test every day. Um, they don't come down into the green room. Uh, there's two sets of crew. There's front house crew and this backstage crew. Mm-hmm. One sits in the red room and the other sits in the green room. The red room being like the panto bar, yeah. but we keep those closed. And so we've always had hand sanitizing stations because pre-COVID we always had flus, vomit bugs. Actually, the girls, um, Laura and Sarah, found an ad recently for uh, like a kind of domestic type product uh, going back as far back as the Spanish flu. So we did not close down during the Spanish flu, but they had all these details and all these ads in the program to keep everything clean. So actually the system hasn't hasn't changed that much. So far back. So the gate stayed open during the Spanish flu, stayed open during World War One. It stayed open during World War Two, and it stayed open during the Easter Rising, as did the Olympia. So they I think they shut for maybe three days. And yet we now, because of a pandemic, our reaction now is just to shut everything down. So we have come a huge way and yet actually really... Going backwards. We've gone backwards, yeah. It's sad sad to hear that. But I hope now the year ahead can manage to get the motors up and running. For everybody. For everybody. For everyone. For everybody. Hand in hand. Um, Caroline, there are a million things I could keep asking you about, but there are some specific questions, quick fire round, that I would love to ask you to pick your brain, as they say. So 
if I can go through it fast and furiously. Caroline Downey, what is, well, you've so many different works. I want to know what your work uniform is, what your fail-safe uniform is um, for daytime, maybe for gigs, for board meetings and for nighttime soirees. <laughs> so I'm pre-management. So this pre mm-hmm. going on the road with Hosea, I had a wardrobe full of ball gowns, uh, a wardrobe full of cocktail dresses, 10 inch heels, how I ever wore, I don't know. Um, and that's predominantly what I, what I wore. Um, and then I stopped doing balls. Actually, I found easier ways to actually raise money. It was a lot of work. Actually, it was during the Celtic Tiger, I made a huge amount. I on average about a million per ball. Wow. But when, they, when that whole kind of procession came, uh, that disappeared. And I had to try and find different ways of actually fundraising. And within those different ways of either asking, only ask, I always went, only ask somebody once, once a year, because there are so often. But when you ask, ask big. These are good tips maybe for people who are fundraising, yeah. working on charity yeah. projects. I mean, I can themselves. say ask big because if, you, if, if once the ask is in, the ask is in. So if you're asking for somebody to go and stand down at a fate, you know, and you're not going to make that much money, you can't go back and ask them again. But you can go and ask them maybe be the front of a campaign that you're going to do and that campaign uh, going forward. So actually the texting numbers, the four years, as we've now seen, has become very successful within the Late Late Show and all that. Mm. That is sometimes asking a little of a lot also can work, but you've got to have something really good at the end of it. Or actually, as we've seen with Irish people, they just want to sometimes just help somebody and they just give the money. I mean, we're incredibly nation. I mean, we know this from Live Aid. We mm. gave more than per head of any other country in the world. Ireland still, I think, in the pandemic gives more than anybody mm. else does. We're a remarkable nation. So it's... So you changed. had all your so ball I had gowns. all my ball gowns during lockdown, mm-hmm. went in, took them all out. Um, Lorraine Keane has a, 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 a secondhand kind of store that she does for Oxfam, I think yep. she does it for. So she got landed trolleys and trolley loads. And then I went in and I got rid of all my shoes, which I realized half of them I hadn't worn. And Storm's friends, who still wear heels, uh, heels mm. came in and three of them had my shoe size. <laughs> and Roz, Zach's girlfriend, Roz Purcell, she came and took a couple because she also believes in sustainable fashion. Mm-hmm. So she came and took some of them as well. And so between them, we, I kind of did a big clean up because I, I realized I, uh, I can't walk in heels anymore. So what are you wearing now? So I predominantly live in boots and sneakers, uh, but kind of maybe with a little more of the wedge and the sneaker and a kitten heel. So I'm a big fan of Monona Blonick, the kitten here. And yep. uh, so the Monona Blonick's gone, but we've reduced them because I have wide feet, so they work for me. Uh, I really have a, I still wear a lot of coats. I wear a lot of jumpers. Uh, jeans, I've rediscovered my jeans. So I'm, I'm jeans and Back in bomber them. boots. And uh, and when I'm going out, it's like not still a black dress or a black pair of pants or a black jacket. You can't go wrong. So those work for me then going into the office is the same. I'm in the theatre and I'm in the rock and roll industry. There's no dressing up really when we're going in. I'm surrounded by people who've got full faces and makeup and a tracksuit body. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it, it's 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 different. It varies. But when you're on the road, it's track pants and all that. But you don't want to look like I'm a slob. So I kind of try and the more casual, you should up a bit. You should up. Yeah. Uh, where is the best view in the three arena? The seats I prefer is front row of the circle. So uh, if it's fully standing. It's, it's the front row. Nobody can stand. Now, the downside is you're not allowed to stand up yourself. So if you want to have a bop, you can't. 
but actually the front row in that and the start of the circle. So you can sit and get a great view. A great view. Nobody stands up in front of you. No people aren't getting up and going to the bathroom and buying drinks as they do so often in the middle of shows, which can't, can't I can't if you can't go for two hours watching if you spent a hundred quid to go and see somebody and you need to keep going to get the pint for the hundred quid like sit down enjoy yeah. the show stop disrupting everybody going but if I was if it's the three arena that you ask mm-hmm. and then I would say that the circle front row in the circle even in every, every theatre is right. the best way okie doke yeah. now you must come across so many difficult individuals how do you deal with them um do you work-wise or actually as in diva band-wise? Both. Okay, let's do work first. Difficult work individuals. Um, I don't tolerate. Okay. Really, How do you it's, cut it's through? Hard. Just don't. Just not going to, not tolerating it. Don't not, feed into don't it. Don't feed into it. Um, address it and just go, we can't have this. I mean, it, you know, because of the industry that we're in, because I suppose it's every industry, actually, I can only talk about my own, but, you know, we were talking about this actually when Dennis and I were doing the tour bus and how important it is that when eight people are living on a tour bus sharing one bathroom and a small little area and can be on there for 13 hours and coming on and off, they've really got to get on. Mm. They've really got to get it. That applies also to the band who's on the band bus. Um, and if you have a bad egg in the middle of a, that can disrupt it, it actually destroys it for everybody. So even them coming into the venues and getting on stage, it, you can't tolerate it. The very similar works when you're actually in a field or when you're in a theatre it's a creative. It's this is not. They're not sitting behind the desks on computer. They are going, going. They are first in the crew. They're the last out. You know, they're loading in at, at six o'clock in the morning, and they're trying to eat in between. You know, and then they pack it all down and get onto a truck and get onto a ferry and go do it somewhere else. So it's really important that there is no drama or divas around it. So it can't be tolerated. And how do you deal with a difficult diva then? If somebody's swanning into the arena, making life hell you, for you everyone, you just you just ignore them. And the artist liaison has to deal with them. And and you know, so it's, it'll be rare, but sometimes it would go back to the agent, just saying, you know, your band was very destructive or very or very rude or. Um, you know, and or and we've had one band in particular that were, inc- I won't even name them, but uh, at Latitude and um, there is no words to describe their behaviour, and the agent got a call to say that they will never be promoted by us. So they can go and send them to somebody else, and that's and it's bad. It has mm. to be bad when you kind of go because nine times out of ten you go, you're not you're not going to see them. However, on the diva thing coming back. When a, and I and I brought Jet on the road with me as work experience when I was going to Australia and all that. And I said I now see it from a band's perspective, that when you come in, and you've asked for something small, and that something small can either be the honey or the ginger that actually keeps your throat going, and you're in a windless air conditioning under underneath a tunnel of a and you're trying to create something nice for them that they're not sitting around tired and trying to find and you're waiting all the time and you're lucky if your bus is there but if it's not you're trying to get back to your hotel is it time can you make it back and forth to Santa? and you go in and the one thing that you've asked that actually may it be, be at Barry's tea bags or mm. whatever somebody likes and it's not there it, it's amazing how something small can derail something because that's all they ask mm. they don't ask for an awful lot I mean yes they do of course ask for towels I always remember they you ask for towels and they ask for everything and, you know, and what they need from them but just on a personal level mm. so I have gone into dressing rooms where there's been seven in the band and there's been four knives and plastic knives and forks and five plates and you're going that's not hospitable that's, that's not right you know, and actually and the, you can't cut 
ginger, by the way, or lemon with a plastic <laughs> knife. So it's like, mm. but it's little things, and you kind of go, and then you, and you go, and then you apologize and go, look, I'm really sorry, but you kind of go, mm. why? I mean, and that's, I mean, I mean, obviously, you have the people that candles have to be lit when they're going, but maybe, you know, if that's your life on the road, you, a lot of artists can just stay on the road and make a huge amount of money from their music and don't need to. So make it nice, make the home from home. I remember you telling me once, and I love the story, that um, the the bands that have the really complicated riders, the really outrageous ones, only make that mistake once because yeah. the second time around they realise they're paying yeah. for it. Joe jo Elliott told me the story that they were out on the road at the beginning. And he, they, was he was Leppard, he's, mm. he's He's Storm's godfather. They li- he still lives in Ireland. They came over at the time and he ended up staying. But he said they were out on the road and... Um, his manager was very clever and just didn't say anything. And they were ordering whiskeys and vodkas and brandies and champagne. And, you know, oh, I want this. And at the end of it, they got down. And this would have been the 80s. And I think the bill was like 120000 And he, they were saying, what is this for? And he said, well, that's your rider for your dressing room. And he said, no, 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 that was that was free. That was given by the protocol. Went, no, 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 it came you pay out. for you that. You paid for that. You paid for everything that comes out. And he said he went around to the band and go, do you drink at night? No, you don't. And he said, because they were leaving it and the crew would, if the crew didn't take it onto the bus, which nine times the crew aren't drinking on the bus anyway, it's left for the crew in the building. So the, the cleaning staff are taking it up and you're, and you're paying for it. So he, he learned very quickly, you know, no. <laughs> and they weren't even drinking. It'd be fine at the end of a tour and you're having a big party or something like that. But nine times, it's a, it's a professional run business now anyway. People aren't messing with their voices. They're not partying. You'd be a fool if you partied and then didn't make your show. Caroline, you worked for a while with Jedward for the their Eurovision mm-hmm. um, stints. Mm-hmm. Can you tell John from Edward? No. No, you no, can't. No. No. Is there no way? I would just go, John Edward. <laughs> if they're both in front of you no. at the same time? No. Oh, my goodness me. And I know I, know I should. I can tell. I mean, I know they're different personalities. Mm-hmm. But I'm shocking at names anyway at the best time. But actually, they're identical, so it's 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 very difficult. But right. it's um, uh, but on personalities, I can tell you which one is is sharp and bright, and which one's more creative and quieter, and you know. Um. So you deal with so many artists with huge entourages. I'm giving you a private jet. I'm filling it with your friends, so you can't say your mm. friends. But who would be in your entourage if you were going on your world tour? Um, if I was going, if I was on a world tour and I was going on stage and all that, just being you, just being me. Yeah. Well, it would definitely be Jeanette, my acupuncturist, um, uh, who does copying and acupuncture and massage. Right. I mean, I, I, I'd be lost with that. Rosanna, my friend Rosanna, does my nails and does. <laughs> okay, oh, we've a team oh, starting here. Again. Um, would you have a cook? Yes. Well, I like eating out, so would I need a cook? Maybe Louis could be your uh, eating out coordinator, eat, and he could just we organize. Both be, we both be eating the same, the same thing, thing in the same can. restaurant. Yes, I suppose if I if I wasn't going to restaurants, a chef, yes, because I can't cook. Okay, um, you throw amazing parties, and you throw amazing parties backstage at concerts and festivals, and at home and celebrations. Any tips on the top of your mind for people who may be slow to get back into entertaining again, but hopefully we'll all be doing it. Well, I've always believed people make a party. So if it doesn't matter how much money that you spend on your party, it doesn't matter how great. If you have a bunch of really great people sitting on the beach with a couple of cans of beer and doing a barbecue, you will have as much fun as one that you've gone to where you're all standing around holding a glass of champagne in heels 
and no fun. Mm. So you start with the people and then you build back from that. And depending if they have children, I mean, we bouncing castles when it was kids and all this. So we try and then be friends, brought kids as well as adults. And what did you have for the adults and what did you have for the kids? And we might have been a bit excessive in some of our parties over the years. <laughs> but um, people, actually, you start with the people. And once you start with the people... Uh, and because I don't cook, and if it's, I used to bring caterers and all that, but then as the girls would come over, everybody just brought a dish with them. And I would supply the drink and, and whatever, and everybody brought and they just put it all down the table. And actually, that was really nice. And they took their plates away with them and all that. But actually, the people around the table, actually, the people that made the best fun. Um, that's It's so true in everything, though, in, in life. Everything, in the everything. The same with your squad on, on, on yeah, the private jet. All my girlfriends down the back, <laughs> down the back, mind you. My team, my mother, <laughs> up the front. Very much. Singing the rude songs. Um, where do you get your biggest buzz from in life? Um... Work-wise? Work-wise mostly, yeah. Yeah, um, I suppose my favourite job of all is Panther. It's I, it's an absolute joy. And if I'm having a bad day up in the office, I have a sandbox underneath my desk and I can hear them on stage and, and the orchestra. on favourite songs, I could dance it down the back and then come back and feel absolutely fantastic when out of it. It, it is um, the most... It was the only time actually I cried was the 50%. It was the first time in, in the whole lot because I just thought... Really? Yeah, yeah. Out of frustration, out of your, you know, you keep taking this away from everybody and you don't even think. Mm. And, and and kids, imagine being a child at this point, you know, and we know this from the ISPCC and we know this from the numbers of child on child line. We know domestic abuse and physical abuse is on the rise and alcoholism. And, and on top of that, that absolute fear of they're going to die if their grandmother gets COVID and you're going to, and that's a lot of our calls are based on that. But then in the middle, I'm actually to go back and say to a child, by the way, you've been selected not to go because they've decided like you could get COVID if you go to the panto and it's, it's, it's game up for you. Mm. It, it just, at that point, I was so frustrated with it. And I just thought, how do you keep doing this and keep explaining this, mm. you know, and keep bashing everybody down? So it was the only time that we really just, and we had taken a lot and we have dealt with a lot. Um, I had to follow a lot of people, which was very difficult and shut down your buildings, shut down your venues, shut down your sites lose all your staff, try and get them back. Mm. But that was, it's my happiest and it was my saddest this year. Gosh. Final question, Caroline. Um, 2022, what are your wishes for the year ahead? Uh, that we just learn to live with COVID and, and reopen and live our lives. I mean, I, you look at people who are in their... 80s who are terrified to step outside the door. It's not how I want to end, would end my life or, or worrying about it and all that. And I just, I just think that we it would be really nice if the world opened up and um, we just got learn to live with what we have. Well, I hope. And of course, a very a brilliant album from Hosea. <laughs> That's what he's doing at the moment. Well, I hope the next time I see you, it will be in a field at a Hosier gig at yes. a festival in the south of Our Ireland. Festival <laughs> in the south of Ireland, headlined by Hosea. Um, with a, you know his third uh, number one album under his belt and I'd be really, really happy. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> Caroline, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. In wrapping this episode, I'd like to say huge thanks to Caroline for insights into a seriously dynamic life. I don't know how she fits it all in, but she manages to and with a plum. 
Thanks also to Tall Tale Studios and to the team at Image, Sophie Power, Simone Kennedy and Bill O'Sullivan for their help in producing today's podcast. Thanks also to our sponsors One Nutrition. More details on which can be found on our hub at image.ie slash workrestlay. Incidentally, that's also where you'll find uh, previous episodes of this podcast, as well as on your usual platforms. I hope the year has started well for you. And I know I speak on behalf of everyone involved with the Image Business Club in saying we're really looking forward to the return of live events and we hope to see you in person soon. In the meantime, we'll keep the podcast episodes coming. <laughs>